how to do that with everything up here. So we got a little transition we're going to be doing between this service and next service, but it's going to be at the end of the service, the second service, and um, Nora's going to be baptizing um, the children that's going to be baptized. She is uh, basically their pastor, and Brad's going to be baptizing the youth, so I get to stay dry today, but uh, it's one of the things I've always enjoyed being a part of is someone's profession of faith and following the Lord in water baptism. Um, I'm preaching this morning from John chapter 20, if you want to turn there. Um, It's going to be toward the latter part of that chapter, up close and personal. Let me just thank you for praying for people that uh, in our church has been going through uh, battling COVID. And, um, you know, we're always a little protective if people don't want their information given and all of this. But uh, you may have seen uh, Brother Drawn, Ken Drawn has put it on Facebook. So I, I take it when someone puts it on Facebook, it's not confidential. I don't know, it's just a thing I, I go with. But uh, he and Cindy are in the middle of battling COVID. This is our district superintendent and his wife. And again, it's one of the people that I, I just, uh, he was as profound in everything he was doing to not get it, kind of like us. And uh, sometimes it happens. But uh, just praying that uh, their symptoms are mild. And even those of us who have had mild symptoms, we still hate it. And uh, you need to do everything you can to not have that exposure. Um, When we testify about Jesus being our Lord and Savior, many times we say he is our personal Lord and Savior, which really is an understatement because he is so personal in our walk with him. It's not like just going into a mass of something and we just are one among many. It's this dynamic, personal walk we have with him where he speaks to us and he opens our eyes to things. He communicates to us. And when we're in prayer, to me, praying is one of the greatest privileges we have of communing with the Lord and talking with him and uh, you know I get a chance to pray with a lot of people and and some of them are a little awkward when I because they could could be a total stranger I did this uh, yesterday a total stranger what can I pray for you about and it it caught uh, it caught her and the tech off guard when I went to leave I had been given some blood and and I want to know what I could pray. And they like that's the most unusual thing anybody's ever asked them. And so they told me that. But, you know, I've told people kind of like tongue-in-cheek, you need the prayer and I need the practice. So both people can, you just think about it. In prayer, both entities receive. Because you're sowing into someone's life a petition to heaven for God to do something in their life. And maybe we get to the point where we pray for someone or something so long it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. That's even more reason to stay the course. And so I've titled this message this morning, Up Close and Personal. And I want to reference, before we get to John 20, there's this great start of Romans chapter 12. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your 
bodies as a living sacrifice. And he goes on to say this, Do not be conformed to this world. And conformity has to do with outside external pressure. Don't let the outside pressures of this world change you. Now, we never let that happen, do we? It's so much an important part of presenting ourselves to God that Paul reminds them that there's two things you need to focus on. And one is, don't let external pressure change you. Things of this world. But then he says, but be transformed. The word metamorphosis comes from that verb that we use today. It says total radical change. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So is it important what we think about? Is it important what we dwell on? I don't think probably we would like to read some of the things if we just go through. This is what I dwelt on today. And what we're going to touch on is Jesus' first interaction with his disciples following his resurrection. Uh, I'm not going to read the first. We're going to start with verse 19. I'm just going to kind of summarize leading up to verse 19. This is, this is Easter Sunday. This is the resurrection chapter that John writes. That on the first day of the week, even while it was still dark, you it's kind of interesting that he makes these kind of specific statements that while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene goes to the cemetery, goes to the tomb, and she sees that the stone is gone and the, stu- the tomb is empty. So she hurries to where she knows the apostles are staying and she alerts them that, The stone has been moved, and there's nobody in the grave. It's empty. So Peter and John, we don't know specifically that it's John, but John has a way of not really bringing attention to himself. We just kind of figure it is John, the way he writes. They run to the tomb, and they look in, and they go in. And there's the grave clothes right where Jesus' corpse was laying, and the face covering that he had over his face is folded up and, and put to, to the side. And there's all kinds of stories about that. But the reality is that that was still there, but nobody. And John even admits toward the end of that, when he's writing about that, that they didn't really understand that from Scripture that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. So it's kind of like a personal confession. Like we were there, it was like what in the world is going on here? We haven't kind of gotten from Scripture that this is the way it's supposed to happen. So they go back to where they're staying. Mary Magdalene stays, and she's crying. She thinks that someone has violated the sanctity of that place. And, uh, and I'm just going to shorten it up. Jesus ends up appearing to her. She doesn't recognize him at first. But when he calls her by name, she knows it's her rabbi. She knows it's her teacher. She falls down, grabs onto his feet, and he says, don't hold on to me because I'm not staying. And he says, you go and tell. So she goes back to the apostles, and she tells them she has seen him, that he is alive. And this is where we're going to pick it up in verse 19. 
And it's later on in the day, John is so specific about this. This is the same day, all of this is going on right then on that Resurrection Sunday. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus said, again he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, we're going to get to that at the end of this because that's an interesting statement, isn't it? So here's the five verses. You know, we, we just think 2020 was tumultuous. But think about their world that they were living in that their hope was shattered as they watched Jesus down the cross. We don't know if all of them was near the cross. We do know that John was near the cross because from the cross, Jesus spoke to him and says, you take care of my mother. You make sure she's okay. So he's right there in front of what's going on. And to them, their world was shattered. Their hope was gone. This was the miracle-working Messiah that was hanging on the cross. So we might think we have went through some tumultuous things, but if you just kind of try to put our, ourselves where they're at, it's hard to fathom what they were going through mentally, emotionally, even spiritually. And so Jesus appears to them, and the first thing he does is say, and I'm going to change it up a little bit, Shalom Aleichem. Because we know he didn't say this in Greek, because they didn't, they, did, they didn't converse in Greek. Maybe Aramaic, which was close to Shalom, Salam. So he's, what he's saying is that I'm not going to speak to your fear. I'm going to speak to what you need to have. You need to have peace. You need to have shalom. You need to have wellness and wholeness. The second thing he does, and we'll kind of go back over these, is that he proves that is he himself. He shows them the marks in his hands, and it says he shows them the mark on his side. That it's really him. The third thing he does, he wastes no time in telling them that they're going to pick up where he left off. That the same commission that the Father gave him, they're going to pick up that commission and go forward with it. The fourth thing is that he breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. And the fifth thing is that he tells them that they're going to be right in the middle of seeing forgiveness come to other people. So let's go back to this peace to you. It's only two words. It's translated peace be unto you, in some trans but it's just peace to you. I want you to have peace. It is the word shalom. It means wellness. What was the major distraction to these people, to these disciples? What was going on? They were in lockdown. They were shelter in place. How about that? They were locked up because 
they feared the Jewish leaders. And it's kind of interesting that Jesus didn't, didn't address the fear, did he? He didn't say anything. He says, all right, look, I'm alive. Why, why do you have to be afraid? He did not. He does, and we tend to do that. We tend to uh, go to the negative and tell people why they shouldn't be afraid. Well, he doesn't do that. He tells them that they are having peace. He's giving them wellness and wholeness which offsets fear without drawing attention to fear. What he did not do is come in there and says, why are you guys afraid of them? Why are you afraid? They, they are the ones that's really lost this battle. And, and sometimes we kind of take that line of reasoning. Like we, we, we go to the negative and we try to build a case against the negative. He doesn't even talk about any of that. He doesn't address what people did to him. Because, you know, I've said before, in my mind, if people mistreated me like they mistreated him and mocked him, that the first place I would go if I was resurrected is tapping Pilate on the shoulder in the middle of the night and says, hey, you remember me? Or how about going over to Caiaphas and say, hey, how's it going? You thought you got rid of me? No, I'm back. Because that's the way we kind of think in ourselves. The Lord doesn't spend any time dealing with the other side. Just saying, there's a lot in here that we could kind of like recalibrate how we look at life. Because we can, we can focus all we want to on what's going wrong, and yet I believe he's trying to tell us, shalom. I'm giving you my shalom. I'm giving you my wellness. You're going to be in a cocoon of protection. Why are you focused on the distractions? I think we're probably more distracted right now than we've ever been. Because we have so much sources of information coming toward us. The other day I thought, I thought this thought, and that's not even in my notes, but I'm going to say it. I just thought this as I was going over this, that um, I, wish, I wish more people would send me videos of the chosen than of conspiracies. I just wish we would have more of a hunger to hear the word from God instead of hearing what other people think is going on. Because I, be honest with you, I don't know what to believe. I don't know if the vaccine is healthy or, or it's, it's evil. Because there's both indications. And then I got three people in my family that's already had the vaccine. I'm just saying... I don't know how in the world we've gotten to the point that we're tuned in to so much of the negative. And we need to start shutting down the sources of fear. Jesus did not deal with the source of their fear. He dealt in, in just the opposite. He gave them the positive. He said, I'm giving you shalom. I'm giving you peace. I'm giving you that that will calm you from not being locked up in this room and thinking, and I'll, I'll tell you this, Go from this, met, this passage right here and find anywhere these guys are afraid again. Go to the book of Acts and see if you see any fear or intimidation by them. Stephen what did not back up one iota from people who ended up stoning him. 
Peter and John, when they were in front of the Sanhedrin, they didn't back up at all. You see these guys in lockdown of fear, but you never see them again fearful of what people could do to them. Why? Because I believe they embrace the blessing that the Lord gave them. He said, I'm, and he just didn't speak this once, he spoke it twice. Peace to you. I bring, I'm bringing something that's going to keep you. You don't have to worry about what others can do to you because I'm putting you within my peace. And you can live life pretty well in his peace. Not in lockdown, not in shutting yourself in because you're so afraid of this or that. I wonder how many, I wonder how many messages in March and April and May when the church was shut down, pretty much we could only have 10 or less people to do virtual. 10 or less. And I'm not going to go into the comparisons of what other people could do, but it's just like the church was kind of like stopped. And I wonder how many messages, including my own, I remember using the verse, God has not given us spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. I imagine about every pastor and every preacher at some point in March or April or May preached that. But you don't hear to me preaching about it now, do you? Because we're like, well, it's here, you know. We got to have to deal with it. But God has given us this blessing, this peace. Here's the second thing. And this is amazing to me, that the first thing Jesus did after he said peace to you was that he, he opened where they could see his side, and he showed them his hands, and he said, it's really me. And it was really him. It wasn't an aberration. It wasn't a phantom. It wasn't a vision. He even told them before, I mean, how neat is it going to be to have a resurrected body and a glorified body and still get the joy of eating? Because he says, give me a fish. Did he not on one of those occasions? They said, well, you know, is it really him? Or is this just a vision? And he says, give me something to eat. And they gave him some fish, and he sat there and ate fish. And yet he had this physical body to touch him. It was him. It was really him. And he just appeared. He didn't knock at the door, and it's a good thing he didn't knock at the door because they probably all ran out the back. He just shows up. He appears and disappears. What kind of body is that? It's a material body, but it's a body no longer subject to natural law. I kind of look forward to that. Because there's speed, how fast is fast? It's just like in the spirit world, how fast is fast? And this is kind of like what we're going to be. We're going to be in a spiritual dimension, but... In one of these. And I just think it's neat that the Lord will always, it just seems from Scripture, He will always have those marks. Because even when He comes back in Revelation, it says, They will look on Him whom they have pierced. He will show the people in the end time that it is the very one that was crucified and was raised from the dead, because here's the marks. And he's going to bear those. Those are kind of like the marks of victory. They're not marks of pain. They're the marks of overcoming. 
And he shows this to them. And though Thomas was not in that meeting later on in the chapter, I'm not going to get into that. Thomas is with them eight days later. And Thomas says, you know, I don't care what you guys say until I see him and until I touch his hands and feel the scars, I'm not going to believe he's alive. And you know Jesus offered that to him. And he said, I don't need that. I don't need to do that. He just fell down on his knees and said, my Lord and my God. Thomas thought in his mind that the only thing that will alleviate him of his doubts is for his senses to do that. For him to have the sense of touch and he didn't need it. Once he saw Jesus, he was convinced like I was wrong. So he shows them these scars. The next thing he, he does is that he says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Think about the magnitude of that. He says, in the same way the Father sent me, I'm sending you in the same way, with the same commission. You and I are on a mission related to the mission of Jesus. Not a different mission, the same mission. We get to participate in that that's eternal. He gives them the charge, the commission. The Father sent me, I'm sending you. And he didn't have to. The reason he did this was because these two are inseparable. He and the people that were taking up the reins of the gospel. He said that one time the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's brought me to people who are hurting. And he's telling the disciples, you are now being commissioned to carry the good news, the gospel. I saw a video the other day of um, a prayer for Sunni Muslims to come to the Lord. And I, I sent that to my five siblings. I sent it because it's such a, it had such a personal impact on me. Because as I was watching that, that prayer of this person praying for Sunni Muslims. And it showed children. It showed people in their context of their Islamic culture. And my mind just, I just saw that little girl again in my mind, a, a Bedouin family living in a tent with a handful of sheep and goats that they were tending. And they were, it was in Israel, it was between, it was on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And here's this Bedouin family, true to their culture, this thousands of years that they've lived like that. Farming, just going nomadically wherever there was grass and and our, our tour bus guy says, I would have stopped and just let you meet a Bedouin family. And, and uh, he was our interpreter. And as I got on the tour bus and I looked over, there was this little girl, probably about four years of age, looking up and staring at me. And I thought, Lord, how is she going to know about you? In this world she's living in. And that her face came back to me when I was listening and watching this video and praying for Sunni Muslim. The same commission is upon us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We might not all go, but we have to be a part of going. We might not be physically able to go to other countries and be the voice, be the messenger. But we do this every month when we partner with missionaries that are like Susan Ricketts in Japan and those who, who are waiting to get back into China. And, and 
one of our missionaries in Thailand, we have some in Indonesia. I won't mention them by name, but we are, we are connected to them. And it's because we have the same commission upon us that was upon Jesus. It is our responsibility. It's not the responsibility of someone else. It's our responsibility to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Not only here, but around the world. We cannot really be true followers of Jesus without being missional. Without understanding our own part in the Great Commission. Well, here's the fourth thing. I think this is one of the most amazing things that Jesus does. He breathes on them. We don't want people breathing on us. (laughs) Especially now, we don't want people breathing. We don't want people coughing around us. We don't definitely don't want people sneezing because it goes 60 feet. Sneezing, I guess. I don't know. Who knows? We just don't want anybody breathing on us. But he breathes on them. Isn't that interesting? Here's the, here's the resurrected Son of God sends out a breath, and in that breath he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He is linking his breath with the Holy Spirit. And pneuma is a word for wind, breath, spirit. So it's kind of like what happened to Adam when God breathed into Adam. And Adam just didn't become biologically alive. He became a fully functioning spirit, soul, body man. Because the spirit of God came into him and made him a spirit being within one of these. So Jesus breathes on the apostles and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is kind of interesting. He puts the reaction on their shoulders. He said, I'm breathing out. The dynamic you need, the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm breathing this out to you. But you have to embrace it. You have to receive it. And that's true of us today, isn't it? The great need of the church today is having a renewed infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the one who gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Think about it, the fruit of the Spirit. You can't separate the fruit of the Spirit from the Holy Spirit. And how about the gifts of the Spirit? I said in one of our staff meetings recently that we, why not have the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate here? Why not have the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate in our homes? Why not have the Holy Spirit operate in the gifts of the Spirit, in our marriages, in speaking to us and revealing things to us. And I think we just kind of became so formal with the gifts of the Spirit that, that they just happen, they just happen at a certain moment. Right? And when we see it happen, it's kind of like it's out of the ordinary. That's sad, isn't it? That we don't have the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in such a way that when they do operate, it's like, wow, we had something happen today. And I believe what he was saying is like, this is how you're going to function. You're going to function because you receive the Holy Spirit. And here's this last part. We're doing pretty good. Boy, there's so many people that take this last about whoever sends you forgive, they're going to be forgiven. Whoever sends you don't forgive, they're not forgiven. You know, when he gives the listing of the, of the 
you know, he's appointed these kind of offices, ministries. He says the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, you do not see in that list priests. You do not see anybody who's a go-between between you and God. There is a mention in Peter that the church is a royal priesthood in its entirety. The church, the priesthood of the believer is one of the great truths of the Protestant Reformation is that you don't need someone else to go to God on your behalf and get you forgiveness. He said, well, that kind of looks like what it is here. Well, when it plays out in ministry, what does it look like? When he tells them that they're going to be involved in a ministry where forgiveness comes and unforgiveness is going to be part of the other side of how people respond. He says, and this is the way people are going to be in relation to you going in my mission. Let me just put it in an example. When Peter, who is considered the, well, in, in some circles, considered the first pope of the church, which he never really was a pope. He wasn't a, a, the vicar of Christ. He wasn't in the place of Jesus. You know, this is, this is why there was a Protestant Reformation, is that we, just have, we all have access to the Lord. And Peter gets up and preaches, and uh, people are moved. But this is not what Peter said to them. He says, I have the power to forgive you of all your sins. He didn't say that. He said, I absolve everybody in the audience that's listened to me of their sins. No, what he said was, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. He says, the gospel I'm preaching to you has to have a response on your end. And if you will repent and be baptized, you will have your sins forgiven. And this is the message all through the gospel. When they was preaching to people, they were not going out and saying, you know, some of you nod your head yes, and I'm going to forgive you of your sins. It's like, no, the preaching of the message was what was forgiving them. And I've talked with people who have this, this other side of that. That in their, in their understanding of communion and holy communion, this is where your sins are absolved. And every Sunday you have to have that to have your, the absolution of your sins. It just doesn't make any sense where John writes, if we confess our sins, he, who is he? Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He is the only one that can forgive us. He is our priest that stands before the Father on our behalf. So Peter and the rest of the apostles do not go out and kind of like, we have the power of forgiveness or unforgiveness. He says, we have the message that defines where the people are getting forgiveness or they're not getting forgiveness. You have to repent. You have to repent and believe and confess for the Lord to forgive you. Isn't it about time we embrace the work of God working more prominently in our lives i don't know about you i just i just want to have a new passion for the lost i do want to have a new vision of the lost to where i'm so compelled not to miss an opportunity to share the gospel 
or have a new focus on the word. I want to tell you, we and the praise team can come up. We are fighting a battle against distractions. I know, I know of a couple people who are completely off social media for this month, I think. So I'm informing them what's going on. No. But they are missing, like, and it's kind of like people said, did you see what so-and-so said on Facebook? I said, no, I sure haven't. Well, it's on there. You're supposed to see it. And what we see on there is, is stuff that just kind of starts dominating our mind. Right? And we need to hit the pause button and say, what is God saying to me out of his word? What, what, what can I get from the word of God? And I tell you something else it robs us of. It robs us of worship. Of adoring the Lord. Of loving Him. Because we're, we're living in a depressed world. A suppressed world. Of hopelessness. You don't have, you don't have to look very far to find negativity today. And what that does, it robs us of our joy. God, give us joy again. God, refresh hope again in our lives. Lord, refresh your presence in us. Redirect our attention, what we are drawn to. Forgive us, Lord, for being drawn into the controversial, into stuff that does not have any eternal value whatsoever. It's, it's all about now, and it's about this fallen world we live in. And renew our, our vision for the lost, especially in our own families, Lord. Holidays can be such a reminder of division in a home. And maybe people are carrying the weight of that division into this year what happened over Christmas or what didn't happen in Christmas people that are listening to me and even right here in this room that the holidays didn't pan out like it was desired and there's a carryover from that Lord we ask you to heal heal us lift us breathe again the Holy Spirit on us speak shalom to us again Lord speak your wellness to us Lord pull us out of the entrapments of criticism help us Lord to step into the fullness of who you are to be drenched with living water that brings life to us that delivers us Lord, those who are watching who have been through a horrendous week this past week invade the lockdown of their soul with your presence just like you did here. You stepped into a locked room of people filled with fear and you spoke hope to them and you spoke purpose to them and you gave them the empowerment that they needed. We are not powerless, Lord. 
not when we have your hand upon us. We are anything but powerless. But forgive us for not walking in that power and living in that power. Pull us towards you, Lord, today. Would you stand with me? Lord, we just want to commit ourselves to your word, to be people of the book, and people on our knees, people of prayer, communion with you, and people of worship, adoring you, loving you, draw us to you, Lord. We pray for our missionaries who have left homes and families to be in far reaches of our world there because you call them you summon them to go as the Father sent you, you sent them and you're sending us to our world right around us, to our neighbors to co-workers to people we we just interact for a moment, Holy Spirit would you Would you awaken us to those doors that you put right in front of us? Make this the start of a brand new week for those of us in this room. Open our eyes so we do not miss you. Speak to us, Lord. Let's just take a few minutes and worship you. Offer up yourself to him. Hallelujah.
from the disappointments enter into his peace enter into his fullness live in the power of his spirit be strong in him don't look back put your hand to the plow go forward he is ahead of you he is leading you he is guiding your steps and his hand is upon you And he has not forsaken you. His plan is still intact for you. There's much ahead for you that he has prepared for you. Even a table in the presence of your enemies. He will refresh you in the darkest of places. He will keep you in that shadowy valley of uncertainty. For he is the Lord of glory and nothing is impossible with him. Walk, live your life in his strength. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, God bless you. Walk in the power of this Holy Spirit. Thank you for being here. The Lord bless your week. Give you a great week this week.